Welcome to the New Age Sage podcast. Today's guest is Harrison Coley. He is a social media marketing expert. He has raised over eight figures in client results at the young age of 23. We talk about how to build a social media following and how to monetize your following to make a lot of money. We also talk about his insight into the negative side of social media and how to save ourselves from that shadow. Please enjoy. Thank you so much. Harrison, um, we... We connected as friends, but also because you have an expertise in something I don't, which is uh, social media marketing and creating accounts in a way to create influence and a platform to create a movement or to monetize it correctly. I think it's something, there's so many content creators nowadays who are starting, but they have no idea what to do at all. And there's a fear in, in starting and creating something and failing and not knowing how to build a movement or a following. So it starts where I want. Let's start with, if you were a content creator, start starting off nowadays, how would you start going about the process in the pursuit of eventually becoming a, a bigger name? Yeah, 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 100%. I mean, I think there's two different places someone starts with, right? It's either they're creating content because they care about something, but they don't have a business, or they have a business, but they're not creating content, right? So there's really, in my opinion, two different places to start. Like you have expertise or a business of some format, and you don't know how to go about promoting that on the internet. And then the other camp is people that are just They've, they're building a following, they're creating an audience, but they don't know exactly what to do with it. Um, and so for the content creating people that are like creating content, but they're, you know, like, well, what do we actually do with this? How do I increase my brand awareness? How do I increase my audience engagement? And at, at the end of the day, pay the bills. Um, and so for this community, I really like the tribe of, or the, the train of thought around, um, the always begin with the end in mind. And so it's how can I build the strongest relationship with my audience and how can I provide the most value to my audience? And so like if let's say you're a content creator that specifically is speaking into a lot of things around spirituality and personal development. Well, OK, what can I do to actually support and help this audience? So maybe it's these people need a strong structure and journal. Maybe they need a good ritual or routine program to go through. Maybe these people need a mentor in their life or some kind of uh, elements that actually support them in this in this space or they need a community around them. So like local meetups, local communities, online communities versus for the business owners, they already have an offer, right? It's like, let's say you're one of my clients is a non-operative orthopedic surgeon. So he helps people heal injuries, specifically like ligament, tendon and muscle injuries without cutting them up, right? And so for him, he already has a business. And so his thing is, well, how do I establish expertise and authority on the internet and show people, hey, I've been in this game for 20 years, and how can that generate calls for my business? And so his thing is building, a, expanding his audience and establishing authority that then brings interest and, and volume into his, his actual business versus these people over here. It's like, how can I just deepen my relationship, right? Because if you're already creating the content, like as long as you're not stupid and you listen to feedback and you're looking at your audience, excuse me for saying stupid, uh, but as long as you're like actually engaging, engaging and listening to the feedback in your audience, your content will perform better and you'll build your audience over time. And then it's just, how do I provide more and more value? How can I cultivate that? What does engaging and listening look like in a, in a detailed way? Like what, what, what constitutes effective engagement with your uh, audience? That's a great question. And it's it, it, one of those intangibles, right? It's hard to qualify like brand loyalty and engagement. Um, obviously, you have your leading metrics like likes, comments, um, saves, shares. Also, story engagement is really key on social media platforms. Like how much is your content being shared across people and in a community being saved 
Um, but then the thing on like Instagram and Snapchat is like, how much are people responding to polls? How engaged are people in answering questions or asking questions? What are your conversations with your audience like on social media, whether it's the DMs, whether it's through comments? In your experience, not various clients you've helped, what are some tips and tricks that are universally working? Like little things or little kind of hooks or pieces of content or ways of engaging? What are some similarities across your clients that are leading to large results that people can start to replicate? Yeah, um, principles across everything. Uh, everybody's overstimulated, so your hook matters more than anything else. Like you could have the ultimate, the most important and impactful mission or piece of content for someone to, to hear and digest. And if it doesn't have a good, ha- uh, good hook on it, they won't even listen. Um, so principles on hooks, you have stats and statements. So a statistic or a statement about something like a belief, and then you have quotes and questions. So those are like the four strongest hooks that we found. Again, stats, statistics, quotes, and questions. And all four of these trigger something in your brain of, I need to pay attention to this, right? So it's like four out of five people find this or like the dentist thing, right? Nine out of 10 dentists recommend this, this toothpaste. That's a statistic. It hooks you on some kind of information. It's good marketing, right? A quote would be like Abraham Lincoln once said, and then that, and then you unpack that or you share your own perspective. I disagree with Abraham Lincoln when he said this, and that'll hook your brain. Um, same thing with statements like, I believe that, or this is something that, you know, I find to be true or whatever that is your statement. Um, and then your question is if this is something you're experiencing or like, uh, if you've ever woken up with a bunch of brain fog and you immediately know you're going to have a bad day, here's what I do to course correct. That's a question, right? It's like, if you've ever woken up and they're like, wait, what's going on? Like, is that me? Um, that could be a quote or or a question or a statement. Um, but so yeah, to go back to your question, principles would be uh, hooks matter more than anything else on platforms. Uh, the other things that are working really well is being authentic. Um, and so obviously like people are super sick of fake content creators on the internet. Like there is the tribe of thought of like doing stuff like Mr. Beast and being extreme works well. Um, but you have to, you're competing on extremism, which to me is like a commodity. Uh, and the one thing that nobody can compete with you on is authenticity to who you are and honesty and transparency in who you are. So I would say that the internet is definitely resonating more with that format of content. We see people like Sam Sulek and a bunch of other guys on the internet, like Ryan Trahan, where it's just them fully expressed on video and people love that type of content. How do you convey authenticity? Because it's something that I, I thought I was good at, but in your feedback, you told me, Lucas, you, you're, who you are isn't coming across social media, which I was grateful for. And we're starting to shift now, but yeah. I think I'm an authentic person. How, how does that, it's a skill, right? It's a yes. skill that's required in becoming authentic as a human being in reality, but then transferring that to social media is a whole different thing that I haven't mastered. So how, how would you, how does one go about that process and how does one realize if they're being authentic or not on social media? Like what are like the key uh, requirements to have that assessment to say I am authentic on social media? Mm. I think the keys for being authentic on social media while still having a content plan and understanding what you're doing is looking at, is this something I'm passionate about? Is this something I'm uncomfortable uh, uncomfortable talking about? And is this something I would talk about off camera? Right. And so that, those are really the three that I see is, okay, like, is this something uncomfortable, uncomfortable being like a a life story or something that you would share with a friend uh, that you wouldn't necessarily like it's being, one of those things. Like, yeah, it's like, oh, is this controversial? Should I really say this on camera? Being vulnerable, um, but also like, you know, look at Andrew Tate, right? He's saying things that would be really uncomfortable to say on the internet because he knows he's going to get hate for it. And so it's like saying the things that you would say if the cameras were turned off. Yeah, oh, makes sense. What, what I'm curious about in your perspective is, is do you have examples of someone like Andrew Tate or, or different influencers? Are you recognizing? 
the path they took to success? Like, how, what are some like what's like the average path? One of the, the biggest influencers take nowadays to create uh, a m- massive level influencer, multi level marketing. What, what are things like that? That, that wasn't the, the common strategy now to get influence. That's a great question. And honestly, I don't think there's one straightforward answer. I think there's, you know, like all roads lead to Rome, right? And so there's many different paths to the same destination. Um, I mean, really, it's like you can be very controversial. You can have really high charisma. Uh, you can also have really high levels of expertise. Like Andrew Huberman is extremely dry, but he has a very high level of expertise. And so he's built an audience. Andrew Tate is extremely controversial, but I would argue he doesn't have a ton of expertise in any one specific thing. And then you have people I mentioned, Ryan Trahan, who has a ton of charisma, but he isn't necessarily an industry expert and he's not necessarily controversial. Uh, and then you can also go to the extreme and literal just extremism, which would be more Mr. Beast tactic of, Hey, I spent $5 million on this video. And you're like, well, I have to watch this now. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's a bunch of different pathways. Um, I'm a bigger proponent of the authenticity, like the charisma and more of an authentic approach on camera. I tend to lean away from like pawning to, or pandering to controversy or pandering to extremism. Do you think it's possible to, to be authentically you if you're charming enough and, and get the, uh, momentum you need to build a following without being controversial? I, I do think like. I think everything is necessary, right? It's everything in moderation, including moderation. So it's picking something that you can double down on like charisma. And then also understanding that, you know, if there's controversial elements to yourself, you shouldn't hold back from expressing those. Um, or if there's things that you want to experiment with in the extremes, you should, right? Even if people might give you flack for it. Yeah. That's one of the biggest skills. Yeah. I, I, I think is is being okay with negative feedback. And not, not letting it uh, affect you. You think that's a big skill for people nowadays is, is having like a strong spine when it comes to, to hearing negative feedback. Yeah. 100%. Think it's an essential way to be. Oh, absolutely. Well, and especially on the internet, right? Like you have keyboard warriors, like you have people that I get DMs every day that are like, kill yourself and you're a piece of shit. And I've had clients that get death threats in the mail or people showing up at their house, like talking bad. And it's like, I just have to remind myself like, if it's someone I trust and someone I love and I know that loves and respects me, I'm going to listen to that feedback. And if it isn't, I'm going to look at them and say, well, does this person have a life that I actually want to model after? Like, is this someone I would actually appreciate advice by? Um, but a lot of it just comes to thick skin. You just got to be willing to, you know, there's so many keyboard warriors out there. Yeah, for, for sure. I want to close the authenticity uh, conversation. I think it's important one to touch upon is that t- to summarize is that for someone to be convey authenticity on social media would involve uh, fully speaking to what you think is what you believe in, what you want to say to you. Not just saying things for the sake of controversy, for the sake of uh, extremism. Um, And then the last question I have is what kind of content strategy would reward authenticity? Is it more so a a IRL approach walking around with like a DJI mic and just more like a Twitch streamer level of, of, of authenticity? Like, can you convey authenticity if if you're doing like spamming of like, formatted hook videos like what's a way to, what's a content strategy to create a sense of authenticity yeah and again i think it, it really matters on the individual and what their specific lifestyle and needs are um the big thing that i come to with like authenticity and creating content is is this something i would do off camera too right and so is this something that i would like is this a conversation that i want to have off camera is this an activity i'd want to do off camera so like you may be more suited to having one-on-one smaller more intimate conversations that are long format like a podcast, 
I love talking to people on the street. I love walking up to random people and asking questions and meeting new people. And so I know that that would be a content format that is more authentic to who I am. Um, but I don't think that in either case, you can't also be intentional about how you present a topic or a thought or an idea in a way that has a strong hook, right? So I think you can have both. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think you have to sacrifice yeah. either or, uh, but yeah. That's a good answer. If you were to throw away morality and any uh, negative effects of your own psyche, if you were to create an avatar of someone who would be a viral sensation over and over again, what would you make them do? That's a very, very interesting question. Um, I mean, there's there's two different trains of thought, right? I believe that the human psyche is a, a double-edged sword. Um, and so we we tend to pursue either morality or depravity. Right. And so if, if I were to right now, I'm on a pursuit of working with impact driven businesses and everything that I do in my life is, you know, in an intention of having an upward and positive trajectory and impact on the world. Um, if I were to throw that away, which I don't think I would, even if I didn't have morals, cause that's the long and the long-term sustainable pathway to success, um, and how to continue and maintain success. Uh, but if I was thinking more short-sighted, get rich quick, I just want to do things. I would, uh, focus on depravity as much as possible. I would explore the the darkest parts of the internet and the darkest parts of the inner psyche as possible. Like so, what? Well, I mean, this could be extreme challenges. This could be um, extreme violence. This could be like, to me, the whole OnlyFans industry and the whole online um, porn industry is a very, very deep level of depravity and people pursuing uh, short-term success. And um, yeah, and, and it works, right? Like you have people like, uh, what's her name? The, the Sky... Uh, there's some like LA girl. She was just dating one of the uh, Nelk boys. And it's like, she's gone famous on the internet and she's built up this giant platform because she's willing to throw away her morals to pursue depravity and scratch that itch in the back of a man's brain. Even deeper than just, I love this conversation, but it's even deeper than just OnlyFans. That's one example I agree with, right? To some extent, but it's like, there's more to that, right? What I yes. think of as like, anyone who's just trying to go viral for viral sake yeah. and scrapping who they are, that's the same. They also throw away their morals, right? So what, how that's a delicate line that I struggle with personally is how do you go about reaching your goals? If you have big goals of being, you know, a big influencer without throwing away your morals, that's a, it's a delicate line that I, I don't know the answer to. So what, how, how, let's try to explore that. How would you go about that? How, yeah. how do you go about that? as someone who's also trying to build their own platform. hundred um, percent. I think that part of it is like the, the difference between challenging someone and enabling someone. Um, and so there's a reality that everybody has pain and has experienced misery and difficulty and struggle. Uh, and everybody also is trying to not live in this state of existentialism and, and dread and sorrow and misery. Um, and so you can enable and play to their misery, like juice world, right? Where it's just extremely depressing things, or you can challenge that train of thought and you can hopefully plant a seed of hope. And there's, uh, this will get you in the door, right? To enable someone or to say, Hey, I know where you're at. I've been there myself. Like I know what it's like to be in that situation. That can be a great way to open a conversation and disarm someone. You don't want to be a preacher, Right. But if you're going to just sit in this camp of, oh, life is miserable and every, all of your sadness and woe is me is justified. Like, yeah, you should just be miserable all the time. I think that's where you're, you're leading to a a negative impact on the world. I think that conflicts with morality. Right. I think that there's part of morality that's like, I have a duty to help other people the same as, you know, I want to treat others how you wish to be treated. And I don't know about you, but I wouldn't want the people around me to constantly enable me to just become Mm -hmm. a worse and worse individual. Why did you choose to, I'm assuming, right, you have the capacity and knowledge to help non 
impact-driven creators make a lot of money, um, but you choose not to. You know, that's an interesting and commendable choice for someone your age, who 23 if I remember, right? Yes. 23. For a 23-year-old to have the knowledge you do and not go for um, not helping OnlyFans models, you know, promote their content or someone promote their uh, like terrible merch or someone just promote themselves for egoistic, egoistic sakes. Yeah. What led you to come to the decision that you were like, I'm only going to help people who are impact driven. Cause that's a big one to make at your age, considering the money you can make outside of that. hundred percent. Um, and honestly, it's very simple to me. I think that there's actually more opportunity and more money to be made helping people that help people and be focused on. Why, on, why is it? Cause on, I, 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 I'm not, I can't say, you know, like I, I agree with you cause I, you have knowledge, but like if I didn't know you, I would not, I would not agree with that. Okay. So that's impact, interesting yeah. thing. So why, why is that? So, I mean, it's, why is it more profitable to work with people who are serving the light? Because it's more sustainable. Right. Okay. And so it's like, so? I could, I've had the opportunity to do million dollar deals and multiple million dollar deals with OnlyFans girls and different businesses that I didn't necessarily <laughs> align with or, or feel resonant with. You didn't want the OnlyFans um, bag, bro? No. Cause here's the thought <laughs> process is, a, I'm a, I'm a, I like to say I'm a Christian man before a businessman. Like I believe, I believe that I'm building treasures for a life outside of just my fleshly body. Um, and so I want to prioritize that, but even just in a logical, like let's remove faith from the conversation and focus on just like logical mechanical. Um, my reputation is impacted by every single thing that I do and every single deal that I make. Um, and the reality is, is the only fans is not a business that's going to last, nor is it a business that people are proud of. Right. And so it's like, I want to do business with people that are proud to be in business and that are building legacy businesses, businesses that even if let's say they have to step out, people's lives will be impacted by it. Um, and so to me, it's more sustainable, right? Cause I can build larger companies. I can build more impactful companies. I can work with more stimulating leaders. It's also more interesting to me because I could have more interesting conversations. Like instead of looking at ass all day as a businessman, like I get to actually have conversations about, you know, like I met a guy today that's opening a new restaurant downtown in Austin. And we're talking about the experience design and the atmosphere of this restaurant and the type of conversations the customers are going to have in the restaurant. That interests me way more. Um, or the surgeon I mentioned talking about non-operative techniques to help people recover. That interests me way more than talking about how can we get the bag from some guy in a chat room on a webcam. Morally, I hear what you're saying. Profitably, I'm not hearing you like why, okay. why yeah. is it more pro- I'm not saying I, I, I'm not like I, I don't care either way I'm just saying that why is it more profitable to work because I, I hope it's the right answer yes. but why is it actually more profitable to not for you just not to just go with some a bunch of OnlyFans models like, yeah. why, why is it more profitable for you not to do that so and this is also a clear distinction is like I've chosen to believe that it's more profitable for me to be in good and impact driven business I don't care if it's not and so I just want to delineate, yeah. like, I have not done the exact math because I'm willfully ignorant on this because I'm choosing, I don't even want to entertain the thought process of being a yeah. OnlyFans manager or owning liquor stores because that's not something I'm interested in. You could be the next Andrew right? Tate, bro. You know what? Like, <laughs> respectfully, I'm okay. I think he's an amazing guy. I think he's exactly what men need in today's world. Um, I do think he's a beacon of hope for young men. And no, thank you. You know, I'd rather be my own man. I'd rather be my own version. Um, but so... To answer the profitability thing, as I mentioned, like the psyche has a light and a dark, right? And I do think it's, you know, whichever side wins is the side that you feed. Um, and I honestly believe that as since I'm a God-fearing man and I have a faith that that love conquers all. And I do believe that that energy wins over a long enough period of time. And so I want to be on that team. And so it's like, even if I can make more money over here in the next three years, what happens when I get 
um, arrested for tax fraud or what happens when my reputation goes through the gutter or what happens when I can't get business in 10 years because I'm known as the, the, you know, Ron Jeremy of the internet, right? No, yeah, thank it's you. It's such I'm a not. pertinent conversation nowadays. I think that um, a lot of young men or women, actually both equally, yeah. um, will look at money just like I want to get money as fast as possible in this moment, right? So it's like, I will do things just for that result yeah. without thinking of what you said was an important point, right? Like, I, I don't want that reputation. I want that sticky energy of being a, a sleazebag or not, yes. which most of us don't have right now. Even followers, money, people are very much like, I want the million followers, million dollars right now. However I get there morally doesn't matter, right? Do you agree with that statement? And, and how have you, like, what was the turning point for you? Like, to be like, you know what? I had the capacity intellectually to, to take that road, right? Just make money fast now with no no idea of a consequence of my morality in the, in the long run and my karma and my, you know, God's wrath. So how did you come to the realization? How to, using from, from that reference point, how do other people, especially men and women our age, do the same thing? Yeah, I mean, I'm still figuring it out. Like I don't have, you know, maybe an answer for everybody, but I'm, I'm just speaking from my own personal experience that, you know, when I was a kid, I, I would sell substances to those around me and I was definitely more interested in making money than how I made it. I was a lot more interested in just having money than where it came from. Um, and so I was willing to do things that weren't in integrity with the man I wanted to be. Um, and whether consciously or unconsciously, that made me super weak. It made me fragile, made me depressed. Like I lived in a constant state of angst and like this weird, just shitty energy. Like my, to, you know, go into the woo woo terms, it's like my vibration was lower. I was operating at a lower state of consciousness because mm-hmm. I was just focused on how do I make money? And it ended up, I was making less money and my health was worse and my sleep was worse. And so then it's, you know, let me actually pursue a purpose. Let me pursue a passion. And then the money just comes as a byproduct. And it's to me way more beneficial, way more sustainable um, because I'm not just focused on making money. It's like, I'm strategic about how I make money. I'm not ignorant to it. Um, Obviously it's important to understand what the business mechanics is. And if your only priority is the money or the follows, I think you're, setting yourself up. Yeah, my, in my experience, when you find the light and you operate from the light, it stops allowing you to go to the same level of darkness. Yes. In my experience, like, uh, I'm trying to think of an example. Some of it a little vulgar. But for example, let's use drugs and women, right? Yeah. I used to be a drug addict. Didn't, I sold a little weed, just not for profit, just to be cool. <laughs> but like, um, I, back in the day, I'd put any pill in front of me, I'd be like, woohoo, let's, let's do it. Now there's no desire anymore just because my consciousness won't let me like the mm. level of vibration I'm at, like there's no resonance. Like mm. the frequency of, of a cocaine Adderall Molly, like is not where I'm at. Not to say that anyone takes them is lesser than me. Just my frequency, my consciousness isn't there. So I can't do it. Right. You take woman, right. There's a woman who's highly promiscuous, demonic, many ways, no judgment. Men can be the same thing in their way. Yes. I can't, I just like my, 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 even my evolutionary body will not let me. There's like this level of like, I, mm. I cannot, I cannot do this. Right. Yeah. Um, why I say that is it's the answer I come to branching off your idea is that you have to, you have to find a life first. You have to purify yourself first and then it follows. But if you're still at a level where you're operating off your shadow and you're unconscious and you have all these addictions feeding off you and these demonic entities attached, attached to you, you're going to keep doing the same shit. Right. So I think the, yeah. the, the question really is like how, how close are you to the light? And then go from there, right? Because you still operate yeah. off your shadow and fear and anger and all this stuff. 100%. It's it's common with, where I, I can move the conversa- conversation to now is that 
most entrepreneurs, the people who who desire success, often come from from deep wounding, deep yes. shadows, um, and they don't know how to cultivate that into light. So, what was your? Let's go that part of your story now. Like, what parts of your child and your upbringing created your desire to desire to be mm. a successful entrepreneur? Yeah, and were they more dark? And if they were, what were they? And how did you turn to the light? Yeah, I, I think, and I'll share a little bit about some of the, the experiences I had as a child, but there's really a key thing that I learned as a kid that has allowed me to actually improve and kind of set my life on a better path than it was before. And that's if I repeat a mistake over and over, I re- get myself into the same situation. I haven't actually learned from it. Right. And so it's like, I'm definitely mm-hmm. a hard learner. I learn the hard way. I learn by making mistakes. And then I realize that if I'm repeating the same mistake, I'm not actually learning anything. And so it's like, when I, when I, hook up casually with someone that I'm not necessarily romantically or intimately interested in. And I feel that regret and that like, why the heck am I doing this? That's a lesson I could, that's an opportunity to learn and change my behavior. If I go out and I black out drinking all night and then I wake up the next morning and I'm hung over for two days, that's an opportunity to learn and change the way I do things. If I spend all my money in the first week after I get paid and then I'm living on scraps for another week or I'm going into debt, that's an opportunity to learn. Um, and so that to me is like, this is how I moved out of my shadow and into my light is by running into a lot of walls and then going, wait a second, don't run into that wall again. Um, and there was a lot of those lessons, right? Like you have to uh, feel the mark of the beast. Yes, yeah. exactly. Yeah. You have to actually understand like the consequences. And so there's, I think there's two approaches, either be smarter than I am and listen to someone else who tells you what the consequences are and avoid them or, and, you know, kind of logically think about it or run into the wall and then stop running into it. Like. If you were to run in, like, let's say you're trying to walk out the door of this podcast studio and you kept on walking into the wall, like you'd be kind of an idiot after the first time or the second time. It's like, Hey, just move over. Um, So that's kind of how I look at life too, is just course correcting on my actions. No, I I agree. I think it's, it's a controversial take that could land me in some hot water um, just morally. But I, I do believe if you have a strong desire to do something unsavory beyond fucking harming someone, I would do it. Hmm. Just because it's like, if you have a really strong fucking desire to do it yeah. and there's, there's like, you're like going crazy because you can't do it. It's like, as long as it's not, you're not killing yourself. It's like, you know, if you want to pop a pill or some shit, you want to, you know, go to the strip club, something like that. I'm not saying it's a good thing to do, but it's like, if you have your whole body, I need to do it, I need to do it. Like you kind of have to do it to realize it doesn't mean anything. Right. Like yeah. I'm grateful I took all the drugs because I was like, cause I, I, I was, my mom, thankfully, was so strict to me as a kid. Like, I come home, she checked my eyes, saw my breath, and I'd be like, Mom, I didn't do it. And I was fucking doing a little bit. I was well-behaved, right? Yeah. But it got to a point where I was, you know, in college, I was in a frat, and I was just like, drugs everywhere. And I was like, a part of me had to experience it. I was like, I fucking need to experience this shit. And it wasn't like, I had friends who never did drugs, and their parents didn't do it, but they didn't have the same desire. My desire came from trauma, so I get why it happened. But like, I had to experience it to then be like, this is not for me, yeah. right? And now I have little zero fucking desire to do drugs, right? Same with, with yeah. you know having having going to a club and having sex with a promiscuous woman like I, I don't I did it nothing yep. wrong I'm not, I can't yeah. shame it anyone does it but it's like I, I did it I realize it's not the thing for me right and, and now it happens so it's like it's tough because I don't want to make anyone go out and fucking pop molly or some shit but it's like no. if you have an incredibly strong desire to do something and it's still there to some level you have to learn the mistake and if you don't then like uh, fair enough but I, I agree yeah. with you. I mean, I, I think like the, the better road is to have the self-control to not and just understand. It's tough um, though. Yeah, it is. And I'm the same way as you. I'm a very impulsive person. And so it's like, I've had to, yeah, like 
do kind of the same thing where it's like I go through the the action or the behavior and then I get to look at the behavior and actually take a moment to reflect and say, did that have any ROI in my life or was that actually yep. consequential? Yeah, for example, with, with I, used to, I used to be addicted to porn. It's fucked up, but I would start watching porn. I was like, I think 10 or 12, just like just start spamming it and fucked up my brain. So yeah. it was like my brain's wired to just be addicted to that shit. And I used to, I, st- I about two, three years ago, I'd kind of stop. I'd do every now and then. And then the past year, I really haven't. And then I think like in, like, in the summer, maybe at some point this year, I had this like strong desire. I was like, fuck, I want to watch porn. And it was like the strong thing. Like I turned it on. I watched it. I did the the the, the bad act, <laughs> but it was like, what what I, I did is when I, when, <laughs> when I finished, I felt how fucking pissed off I was. Wow. How horrible it felt. I was like, well, I also saw like a demonic entity in the in the app, so that was, that was another th- another thing. But like, I felt in my body like, oh shit. Why am I doing this? I felt this? horrible. I felt, felt like possessed. I felt just like I was like, I felt it deeply. Like truly, I didn't ignore. It. I felt it. I was like, oh, no, never. I have no desire again. Like I haven't even thought about it. It's like, oh, I can't. Right. So it's like it's being hungover is a be- most beautiful example, right? Being hungover is is literal like exact feedback. Yes. Telling you like you can't biomechanical do this shit. feedback like, that this <laughs> is not something you, you should can't be do doing. This shit. Yeah, yeah, you're in taking poison. Um, and, and it's really, it's an interesting thing, right? Because it's you know, like, I think that a lot of it, I love that you're in a position where you just don't have the desire. And for me, it's like, I still want to get high every single day. I still want to, I was exposed to porn at about the same age. I think that we're, I feel so bad for the children of this generation. Like the fact that we were exposed to porn at 10 years old blows me away, right? It's like we, it, that whole thing of like a, a modern man today can see, uh, more beautiful women in 10 minutes scrolling on an app than his grandpa saw in his whole life. That blows me away. Uh, and it really is like, for me, it's like, I still have all of those desires. Like I still have the desire to spend all of my money on stupid sweatshirts and you know Gucci shoes, whatever expensive trips. Like I still have all of these, these irresponsible desires. I've just learned that, uh, you know, for every action, there's an equal and opposite reaction. And I know like, even if I don't want to get up in the morning, I know I'm going to have a better day if I do, even if I don't want to go to the gym, I'm going to have a better day if I do. So I've just, I've gotten to this space where I've had to learn that like actions have consequences and what consequences do I want in my life? It's like, I completely agree, but at the same time, it might serve you to just buy the Gucci shoes, put them on and be like, this makes no difference. Mm. Like there's power in that too, right? Like I, I agree with you. I'm, I'm, it's true. I think every man is it's imperative for them to, to, imperative for them to have deep discipline. But at the same time, like it's also useful to buy the Gucci shoes, put them on. Like you know, my fucking LV shoes. I put them on. I'm like, it's no difference, right? Yes. I wear them because yeah, I think they, I like them. But it's like I don't put them on thinking like, oh, I'm cool now. Like I used to. I put them on like uh, I'm wearing new LV shoes. There's no girls running to me. Like, How the fuck is that? <laughs> is that yes. happening? Like. Sometimes you just got to put the shoes on and be like, there's no fucking difference, you yeah. know? Yeah, yeah, Well, because I, I think that's the, the whole thing of like, it's people are attracted to your inner work, not your outer work, right? It's like you, you're changing the, the paint on the house. You're not changing the house itself. And so it's like, I think when you, when you do the inner work, the way you show up, the way you interact with others changes. And at that point, you can actually like express yourself differently and people connect with you differently. But the, yeah, the, the shoes like, whatever. Um, but the other side of that is like, you know, let's say you bought the shoes, but that was your rent money. Yeah. You know, it's like, that's a situation where it's like, or, right. Or like, let's say you have story. the desire to sleep with the stripper and then you knock her up Yeah. and you're a man with values that doesn't want it. Like, and that's the situation where it's like, okay, like, sure. Am I attracted to her? You know, whatever. Like, do I want the shoes? Sure. But do I already have a commitment in a, in a different way? 
to this? Or is there like, that's something where I allocate all of my energy. I've learned this. I've learned to allocate my energy before predetermine my energy. So it's like, what time do I wake up? And so then in the morning, I don't have to decide whether I'm getting out of bed or not because I already decided. It's like, do I want to sleep with strippers or do I want to marry a, you know, a good woman, uh, a woman with values? Do I want to father children with a promiscuous woman or a more conservative woman? Um, and my answer is more conservative woman, a more traditional but get, woman. But to get to that answer, yes, you had to experience the, not the opposite of that. Right? For sure. So For it's sure. like, I hear you. And it's, it's one of those things I still haven't found my answer to. It's one of those clear philosophical arguments that like, I still don't have an answer, right? The Buddhists, a lot of what I, I speak, speak out and preach is, is tied to Buddhism. And one of the core concepts of Buddhism is, is to eliminate, eliminate desire. Mm. Um, and I completely disagree with that, right? But at the same time, it's like, if you only listen to desire, you're fucked, especially as a man, you're screwed. So like, yes. what's that middle ground? To me, what it's come to is that like, if you have that in your mind of two, the two habits, let's say oh, fuck, the stripper, right? I hate to pick on, you know, <laughs> pick on the stripper, <laughs> but it's like, you know, the hot stripper wants to bang you. And yeah. then there's like, you're thinking of like your Christian wife who's, you know, yes. been morally responsible. In that moment, it's like, can that image pull you away fully? Like fully? And if not, and you're being here, and you really want to experience it, that's a tough moral argument. Is it like, is it better for me to not do it and always live fucking like f- anxious to experience it or to experience it and feel the aftermath and be like, I cannot ever do this again. Mm. Where do you stand on that? I, I think that's a, that's an individual thing, right? It's like, cause exposure therapy is different for everybody. Um, and so it's like, it, given my addictive personality, I know that continued exposure to anything reinforces the behavior. And so I just have to eliminate it. And so I'm like, just based on who I am as an individual, I just try to eliminate toxicity from my environment because uh, I already have enough inside of myself. Like I already have enough shit to work on just in process by myself. I don't need to be putting myself in, in environments where I'm exposed to more. Like if I have one drink, like let's say I we go have old fashions for the next three days, I'm going to want to drink all day long. Like, and so I just know that about myself. And so it's if, if I have the one drink, I'm setting myself up to fail long term. And so it's like, for me, it's like just understanding that dynamic with myself and everybody's different, right? Like you may be able to have the one drink and not think about it for three days. No, I, I have the same wiring, Okay, but I've, I've conquered it in, in some ways. That's good. Um, That's admirable. So what, but what's interesting about this exact wounding is that I think this pain that causes this habit is what makes you so good at what you do in some way. Like, do you ever yeah. feel that way that, that... I don't think we ever covered the initial question I asked a while ago, but it's like, what parts of your addictive personality, your wounding, do you think, or childhood, benefited the way you are as an entrepreneur? Mm. Yeah. Um, I mean, to, to go into the childhood trauma stuff, like, I was exposed to a lot of addictive things very early on. Like, I started smoking weed at 11 years old. I started vaping nicotine at How 11 come years about, old. Just to, like, fully, just a story, I want a story of that. And then okay. I'll go back to this. I'll, I'll make sure I return. How yeah. the fuck's 11-year-old smoke weed? Yeah. So I went to a, I went to a small arts, like I, I went to the small uh, school in the middle of the mountains that was like focused on arts, like a liberal arts um, elementary school, 12 kids in my class. And I was the one that got bullied. Um, and so I finally, the whole time I was there, I just wanted to go to the, the like big public school in our town, not this small little town or not this small little school. And finally convinced my parents to take me to public school in sixth grade. And I met some kids in my class and the summer of my sixth grade year, uh, I was at the gym and one of them was like, Hey, come back to my house. Um, I have something to show you. And so like me and three other people went to her house and we smoked out of a pipe socket wrench. Um, and at that point we found electronic hookahs. This is like before jewels. And so this is like 
Like, can you imagine an eleven-year-old walking into a smoke shop and buying? Eleven is what, like fifth grade, sixth grade, sixth grade. Yeah, fuck no. And so, th- like, and I was, I had a bull haircut. I looked like <laughs> I was nine years old. And I'd walk into there's this one smoke shop, and there's one guy in the smoke shop that would sell us e hookahs and pipes. And we're eleven year old kids. We had a code word. We used to call it school supplies. So like, if I was on the phone in the car with my parents, I'd be like, yeah, do you have any school supplies? Like, can I come over and smoke? And I'd be like, oh yeah, you know, I need to go get school supplies. What was it? Okay, what was the first? What was the experience like? You getting first getting high when you were eleven? <sighs> so it was summer of our sixth grade year. And, um, we we're in the backyard of my friend's, uh, my friend's house and she had like a socket wrench with like a screen in it. And we literally smoked out of the, the edge of a socket. It was like a big half inch diameter socket wrench and we smoked out of it. Um, and I had a panic attack. Like I've always had tachycardia, which means like when you smoke, your heart rate jumps up. Um, and that, that's the crazy part is like, even my first experience with weed was negative, overwhelmingly negative. And for some reason I just kept on doing it. Um, I think it was like this whole didn't fit in as a kid. I was getting bullied a lot. And so then I got an opportunity to fit in doing things that even I didn't align with. And then recently to answer your question about like, how has this trauma impacted you is I've realized like I'm addicted to a lot of things. Like I have a very addictive personality and the root childhood trauma is belonging, like feeling a sense of belonging. And so I have two paths. I can belong inauthentically by doing things. What, why is that? Why did you make that, that, uh, deduction logically that your trauma comes from belonging addiction wise yeah so that was i mean like uh i mean class of 12 kids and i was always the one picked last or left out or jumped at recess or um yeah so that was like i would i would avoid going to recess because i knew i'd get the kick the crap kicked out of me and i would just solve math problems inside um and so that was like but my i remember even as a tiny little kid all i wanted to do is fit in right i was like that was my thing so how did that drive the addiction was it like you, you ended up taking yeah, the, drugs to like fit in with people you thought were cool. Exactly. Exactly. So these kids are like, Hey, come over to our house and then we're going to smoke. And I was like, well, and they're, they're all smoking. And I remember sitting there like panic. Cause I was, you know, like I was raised on like, Hey, don't smoke, be a good kid. And I remember like in my body, I still remember like this anxiety of like, I shouldn't be doing this. I shouldn't be mm-hmm. doing this. And they're like, you know, you want to hit? And I was like, yeah, sure. Um, so it's just one of those things where like, I, I'm a product of my environment. And so I've just learned to put myself in better environments because I'm extremely susceptible to my environment. So I think it's a common wound we all face. My story was, I don't know if you can relate, was I was the same way with weed, right? Mm. I didn't, I actually was just, it made me super anxious. Um, and I ended up smoking half an ounce a week towards, you know, the, yeah. towards when I was about 19 to 21. Um, but why, why I did it was that I mixed it with drugs. Like I, I, I had to use it to fit in, right? Mm. And then the person I became with the drugs was what I perceived to be the only way I could fit in. Yes. Right? So the high version of me was the only way I could perceive that people would like me, right? If I was a party, the drunk version of me was the only way that girls would like me, right? So I became accustomed to presenting myself as the inebriated version of myself that could receive validation. Yes. I didn't believe that my authentic me could receive love. Yes. Um, and that, and then I was living a double life and then that, I think is what caused my depression. So did you, can you relate to that in your experience? I can actually exactly relate to that in terms of like, yeah, I got used to being the plug. Like I got used to being the guy that always had that gas on him. Right. (laughs) Uh, And so that was just like, that was like, Oh, this is how I belong with people. Um, And I started to realize over time that a, I found all of my validation in being that person that always had the, the plug for whatever someone needed. 
Uh, and then I started to realize that if what I... What did that feel like? Like, what, why is that Why was that validating to you for someone to be like, yo, I need fucking... What did you have? All the drugs? Yeah. I need an eight ball and, and, and like uh, an and eighth that. of weed, an eighth of yeah. weed and some whatever, some whatever pill. What made you feel like, ooh, this is, this is nice for, for me? <laughs> well, because like, it, was, it was a position of like feeling needed, right? Or yeah. being uh, called upon, right? It was like, oh, I can actually be of value to this person. Were, were you like scrawny and small? Yeah. yeah well, I so was I'm like assuming, skinny fat. I'm assuming it was like a interesting polarity of like who you were. Like you now are some like bad boy, right? That's like part of it. Like you were like kind of like other kid with drugs and that was different to the way you were originally perceived. Hey there, I'm going to give you a break to digest all of this amazing information. And in this break, if you like what you're listening to, please rate and review the podcast. Thank you. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, because it was like I was a calculus tutor and a drug dealer at the exact same time. And so there was such an extreme duality in my lifestyle of like people would come to me for math homework and Adderall at the same time. Right. And so that was just kind of who I was is I was known as this kid that was, you know, extremely intelligent and also had anything you needed. And so I was building this persona. I was building this armor around my true self of uh, this is how I fit in. This is how I belong. This is how you can interact with me. It's like if you need an answer or if you need, you know, a substance, I'm the guy to come to. And it, it, it honestly kind of hurt, right? Cause you know, that's not who you really are. It's like, I don't like answering people's, like, I don't like doing people's homework for them, right? It's like, I like to walk someone through how to do their homework. I don't want to be the guy that people rely on to have something. Um, even in my business, I noticed that I built a business where my clients were extremely dependent on me. And I was noticing I'm doing the same thing as I was when I was selling drugs is I'm creating a forced dependency with my relationships. That's crazy. That makes you more money though. It does, right? And that's like the the world empowers this, right? The the world that's like we want to talk all about, you know, being better versions of ourselves and doing better business. And the reality is, is the economic model is benefited by this. It's like if you can create forced dependency, it's better for your business. And so that's like, you know, going back to your point on like, is morality more profitable than um immorality? You know, it's like I refuse to even accept the fact that like I could take advantage of my clients and create forced dependency. Cause that's just not who I want to be. And so it's like, am I leaving money on the table? Sure. You know, it's like, but I'd rather just give it all away. Cause that's not who I am. And I figured, you know, like it says, you know, you reap what you sow and you give, you get what you give. And so I'm, I'm just like, I'm banking on the fact that that's true. I'm banking on the fact that what goes around. So comes that, around. What was like the final straw in your experience where you're like, I can't, um, I can't keep following this, this path of, both like the actual objective reality of being a drug addict, but also the subjective reality of not being, not feeling like you could be yourself around people. So when did that shift? And then how did you start healing that slash? Have you even healed it? Mm. Yeah. I think um, something to, to really be clear about myself is I think it's, I believe that it's dangerous to consider myself healed. Um, like there's a big thing in like AA, I never went through AA, but I know there's a thing in AA, like the only important day is today. Like you just make the decision continually. Um, and so I think that I will always be improving as a person and then I should always be aware of my lessons that I've already learned as not to repeat them. Um, yeah, the, and in this thought process of it's never, the work is never done. I'm always in a process of transformation. I'm never transformed, right? I'm always in a process of growing and healing. I'm never healed or grown. Um, in this, I don't think that it's fair to draw a single final straw, 
right? Like there's been a lot of moments. Um, one of my girlfriends, when I was 18 years old, I found out that she was cheating on me with one of my best friends. I left town. Uh, so I left town to go visit another friend. And my buddy called me the morning after I got to my buddy's house in North Dakota. And he calls me and he's like, dude, like I threw a party last night. Your girlfriend came over. We ended up hooking up. I feel really terrible. I just want you to know. And now I'm a 14 hour drive away. Um, and I started to think about our relationship and where things went wrong. And I realized that I was the guy that would drive us to concerts. I was the guy that had the Coke. I was the guy that had the weed. I was the one that had the plugs. And I was like, wait a second. Like, when do we actually spend time together? And we were only spending time together when we're doing substances. Like we're, you know, on something or at a concert or I was driving her somewhere. I was doing, I was providing something to her. It wasn't necessarily that she just wanted to be around me. And so I was like, wait a second. Like this is at fault of my own. I'm not going to blame her for that. And I was like, oh, like that was, that was one of the big moments of are the people around me around me because they care about me or just because of the value I provide the world. Um, and then the big approach that I've had since that moment is, can I bring the value that I provide the world in closer alignment with who I actually am? Because I think that, you know, it's unfair to expect people to love you unconditionally. Like, I do think you actually have to provide something to the world. Like, if you're not a baby or a puppy, it's kind of like, hey, do something with your life, right? It's just figuring out what to do with your life that's actually more congruent with your beliefs and your ideologies. That's kind of how I've taken it. Why do you think that it's dangerous to believe you're healed? Well, I think that's when we become ignorant again. I think that's like even, you know, in the in the Bible, it talks about like Jesus being tempted by Satan. And it's like if if Jesus is the literal son of God, the perfect incarnation of of a holy, devout man, and even he is being tempted by the devil, um, I think that's really dangerous, right? To to assume that us as people with with flaws and with our own shadow side, it's like as soon as I for, as soon as I believe that I no longer have a shadow is I think when the shadow has the most opportunity to strike, right? Cause now I'm not even looking for the enemy. Now I'm not even vigilant. It's like, if you had a, let's say you, you built a castle and you're like, oh, well our castles, uh, into, like you can't break into our castle. It's impossible to siege us. So we're just going to leave the gates down and we're not going to have any guards. It's like, that would be, I think that's where it gets dangerous for me. I, I agree from like a, zoomed out lens I'll present you with my take and we'll see what yeah, you think please. about it um, I agree with you in the sense of like if we ignore our whole shadow our whole, all our shit and say it doesn't exist that's incredibly dangerous and the easiest way for actually for demonism to start attracting towards you however in my, in my experience for like the I, I'd say that my, my shadow or my trauma consists of like a hundred different data points mm-hmm. like shit yeah. that fucked up as a kid that's like it, it, probably a hundred data points right yeah I, I minimum be- yeah I, I believe that <clears throat> Once there's levels to right, there's awareness of it, right? You, mm-hmm. you realize that you, the, the shadow becomes not shadow. Shadow is just part you can't see, right? So you start seeing it. It's the awareness, right? Then it becomes feeling it. I was like, oh shit. Like, like actually when you get triggered, being like feeling it, allowing it to release from your body. Mm. Where I think most people in the space get wrong is that they stay there. They'd be like, always feel it and all this shit. And like, there's, it, it's useful at a point, but for me, it has to get to a point where you're like, I'm not doing this shit anymore. Yes. Or like, for example, one of my biggest triggers is was because I I, I was overweight, I had skin issues as, as a kid. I, I had zero riz, like no no ability to get <laughs> zero riz. No okay. ability, <coughs> sorry, <laughs> no ability to get girls at all. Okay, um, and although my mom was amazing in many ways, I, I didn't feel seen and loved by her in many ways. So I felt I was wow. always chasing okay. validation, 
And then I could never get the validation of girls I wanted. Tell us about, so then I, I turned like 2019, became somewhat attractive. And then I was this, I get female attention, but there was the same wounded boy going about it. Yeah. So then I had to, I had to basically figure out like, okay, do I want, then it, it ruined my experience every time, right? I'd come in, I text them too much, hold on to them, then run away. And I'd be like, oh, what the fuck do I do? So I had to basically get to a point where I was like, in my last relationship, I'd keep fucking her up. And I was like, you know what? I felt the shit. I've been here. Yes. I'm not doing this shit anymore. Yes. Like <clears throat> now when it comes, like it doesn't, it really doesn't exist anymore. Like for example, before I've had to ask a girl out and she didn't answer for like a couple hours. I'd be like, Oh, what did I do wrong? I don't know all this right. stuff. Like that doesn't Psychoanalyzing exist Psychoanalyzing it. I can see my mind going there a little bit. I'm like, I'm not doing this shit. Like, yeah. I, I, it's because it's dangerous. I'm just not doing this shit. So why I was going back to the original argument is that I think, yes, it's, it's really demonic to ignore and dangerous to ignore your your shadow completely but for specific data points out of the hundred or thousand you have to get to a point where you're like i'm not doing this shit like it's true this shit is not driving me in the car anymore like i felt it i've experienced it it's it's done yes. i'm not doing this shit anymore so how does that resonate no, with you? I, I think you're spot on man it's like making sure you're not making mountains out of molehills right and so it's like for me it's like my big thing is like understanding i have an addictive personality and understanding that i'm extremely impulsive like just those are like my two big things and then i have a thousand little data points and so it's like what is the data from all of those different data points that i have an addictive personality and that i'm impulsive okay well knowing these things and then i'm also extremely emotional as a human being it's like well let me be very careful on what i get obsessive about or addicted to let me make decisions and consciously process things and can i sit with the feeling and not freak out about it and so like to me it's like i agree with you that if I just think about one specific instance over and over and I go through a thought loop, I start to spiral, right? Because I'm just thinking about the same thing over and over, feeling the same feeling. And so I, I come, I'm on the same page. It's like, let me process this experience. Let me take what's in it for me and let me move forward with the information. It's like, okay. And then I can just be aware of like the, the underarching, the golden thread within it. You know, it's like, let me, let me like um, take what's in it for me and leave the rest. So what are, the, what are some of the positive addictions you have now like where did you shift this wound to benefit your reality so i'm the same way right i i'll, I'll be vulnerable in my my situation first to, to see if it's similar to you i'm as addictive as it gets as truly as it gets you know i used to down a whole bottle and pop xanax pills at the same time while i was smoking joints while on mushrooms so and i had her also so like i was fucking yeah. in that shit so for me it's like i realize i'm either addicted to to little shit or to like good stuff so yes. it's like i'm for example now i'm like fasting 24 hours i eat fucking animal based you know, i'm a nice fast i work out every day like that's i've transferred there so it's like i realized that this is the way it is i had to put it there or not so how has it been in your experience where are you, where are you shifting your addictions to in a healthy way and can mm. it ever and once you answer that i'd love for you to touch on can it do you think it can be healthy to actually ever be addicted to anything so yeah i mean i think everything in moderation including moderation and I think any addiction can be toxic. Like if you are addicted to exercise, you're going to over exercise and get injured um, or set yourself up to fail in the long term. But that is definitely like the, the things that I'm more obsessive about now is the cleanliness of my space. Because as I mentioned, I'm a product of my environment. Um, same thing with the quality of the people I surround myself with. And that leads into, you know, there's some shadow sides to that of judgmentalism and being very, you know, selective about the people I'm around, but a clean environment, a strong community, my health, I'm same way as you. I am anal about the food that I put in my body, the water I put in my body, the exercise and movement. Like 
I don't miss a day on my steps or my movement. I have to do my push-ups and I have to do my walk every day because I know that these things are going to set me up long term. Um, so yeah, like my, my own physical health, my community, uh, my environment around me, those would really be the big things. And then the one that is kind of interesting that I've just picked up on recently, actually, when you had, when you asked this question, it came through for me is self-control. I've gotten very like, um, I, I really don't like the feeling of things pulling on my mental energy anymore. It's like, I noticed that I went out a couple of weeks ago with, with some buddies here in Austin um, and they're great guys. And I had a couple of drinks and then I noticed that Sunday I got home from church and I looked at my liquor cabinet and it freaked me out. I was like, Whoa, like what the fuck is this? Like get out of my head. Um, and so I've noticed that like, I'm becoming more and more, I find a lot of satisfaction and feeling like I have control over my own impulse, like not necessarily my environment. I understand that most things around me, I have no control over, uh, but feeling controlled, like being able to walk in a bar and say no, or being around people that smoke weed and saying no, that makes me very satisfied. Sammy, are you, would you qualify yourself as a workaholic or no? For sure. Okay. Yeah. How so? Yeah. I mean, like, it's funny cause it's, I, I think that the, the big thing around an addiction is when you can never have enough when you always want more. And so it's like, I'll work a 12 hour day, wake up the next day and feel like I didn't do any work. And it's like, and I'm productive too. I try to be very productive about my days. Like I don't try to, you know, I'm not the type of person to get lost in the weeds and go down some rabbit hole. That You're not doing matter. 12 hours and six of those are on, on a uh, YouTuber. You yeah, know, exactly. Like fucking CNN exactly. or some shit. Yeah. yeah, exactly. It's like when I'm working, I'm working. Um, and yet there's, I feel like I can always be working more. Um, but I've, I've, you know, I've obviously committed to prioritizing my health and other things. So that's I unpacked. Just... I have my own answer. What, why do you think that is? I share it with you, right? Yeah. Even for example, like I know that about me, even if I do a literal, you know, a whole day, like over the next three days, I think I'm shooting like fucking a bunch of like four something podcasts to prepare for all of them. So I'm busy all the time. But even when I reach a Saturday, yeah. I'm going to be like, you know what? I can do more today. I can read, I can read this whole fucking philosophy book today. You know what I said? It's like, I'm with you. Why do you think that is? Why do you think it never can be enough for you? Well, I think it's the pursuit of greatness and the pursuit of, I, I think every human is hardwired to pursue greatness in their own life. Really? Yeah. 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 I, and I think that's what how causes. How could that be if, I agree, but I'm, I think the question for both, how could that be if, if most people don't even fucking come close to it? Well, I think, A, that's a, product of our environment like i think that the the overall culture and society around the whole world is conditioned for people not pursuing greatness and excellence um but also like especially in the capitalist world of like everybody's definition and goalpost is different right and so it's like i noticed that at least to me I'm, I'm learning that excellence to me is like being a good father and being attentive to my family having attention to detail and being present with my wife being a strong man in my community and a man of my word and so i realized that like Oh, my pursuit of greatness doesn't necessarily have anything to do with money. Right. And so it's like when I go, when I'm traveling the world and I notice like in very extremely impoverished areas, I'll find men with extreme high levels of and men and women that are extremely satisfied and present and seem like they're enjoying their life. It's like, cause I think they're doing the things that fulfill their sense of purpose. Um, so around the workaholism, I think that there's always things that we could be improving in terms of like going in the direction we want to go in. And so then it's just, choosing to like, well, let me, you know, align these obsessive qualities in my human behavior with the things that I actually want to pursue. At what point, because I'm with you, and a question I ask myself constantly is that, at what point do I deserve a break? And is that even a possibility? 
Yeah, I mean, I think this is the... I think you can increase leverage to a point where it's effortless for you to produce. Um, but I don't think that, you know, I think we, re- we, it's, there's, I have these two different thoughts of, I think the hustle culture is extremely toxic and dangerous. Like I like to very be very intentional with restoration. So it's like, if I'm going to take a day to go to the spa or go to the sauna or get a massage or when I'm meditating and journaling, that is our sleeping, like that is serious active recovery. Um, and then like, I can really like not think about anything when I'm dead. Is kind of how I approach it. Um, yeah, I think that, you know, the whole, the whole game is to get closer and closer into doing things that don't feel like work. So you don't feel like you have to take a break. And then it's just, well, I know that these recovery methods help me. Well, I hear you. I agree. Where I stand is that, right, if the, if the metric is pursuing greatness, mm. greatness to me isn't limited to external metrics, right? If greatness to you is just money, like you said, and, and woman and fame, that's part of it. But I think greatness to you is also your internal state of being. And if you truly can't sit down by yourself in silence for 20 minutes, that is greatly inhibiting your ability to be great. I think that's the metric I use, right? Where it's like, is my need to work out of a genuine desire to progress? Uh, like, is it actually not to be doing? Or is it just because I can't sit still, right? Like, that's the metric I use. Like, can I not sit still or do I actually, should I actually be doing shit? Um, and that's helped me personally. That's, that's a great way to look at it. Um, you remind me of the, the quote by Marcus Aurelius, uh, waste no more time arguing what a great man is, be one. Um, and so this is like, again, like I think the goalpost is different for everybody. So your measure is, am I doing this out of the need to stay busy or am I doing this out of intentionality? Um, and I think that goalpost for everybody listening is going to be completely different. And so to me, it's, you know, as long as you're embodying that which you desire, right? And so for you, it's intentional action, focused action, instead of just doing things to feel busy, um, then you're achieving greatness. And it's your definition of greatness. And as long as you're doing that, fuck anybody that judges you, you know, because you're doing the thing that matters. Is your motivation solely limited to greatness? Or what's like, the sh- is there any shadow in your motivation that you still work with or sitting with? Like... You know, I personally have a desire to to be famous. Like that, that's exists in me. I own it. It's there. Uh, I think most people in this space should own it, and they're ignoring it. Um, so, what beyond just greatness? You ever have like things that you do desire? Oh, 100%. Yeah, I have a fuck ton of external desires. Yeah, and so this is like to to because I brought up Marcus Aurelius and around Stoicism. I've preferred indifferences, right? Like I do desire to be in better fitness than I already am, and have a better physique than I have, and um, I do desire to build massive world changing companies. Like I do desire to have you know, accumulate large amounts of, of wealth and power. Um, and all of those things, if they happen or not, is not a hundred percent of my control. And so I'm, you know, it's like, as long as I'm cool and I'm in control of my own mind, then it's like, okay, if all those things happen or not fucking great or okay, whatever, uh, cause I'm focused on controlling what I can, uh, but I do. Yeah. Like I want the Lamborghini for sure. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Could you own it? Cause a lot of people in this space don't. So fair enough. Same yeah. here. Um, so in, in this path, I think of young men like us in the 20 to 25 range, mm. um, or any man really, or woman too, but woman's different because it's more so to do with beauty. But for, for men, what trap we can fall into is, is comparison, right? Like looking at mm-hmm. the dude with the, with the Lamborghini or the million followers, all this money and be like, why, why the fuck is my life not like that? And you get shameful and, and self-deprecating. How have you managed that? Because I think all, all men have to deal with that. If they haven't, they're ignoring something. Like how, how have you dealt with that reality of you comparing your path and trajectory to someone else, right? Like, um, 
I personally deal with is I'll look at someone bigger in the space. You know, I'm at where I'm at and I'm like, why am I not here? But then that person had to go through the same fucking process unless they got like a get rich quick scheme. Then they did that. But how do you, how do you deal with it? How do you deal with that? And you're, that part of your male psyche being like, I'm not like this fucking top, top dude. Like what, how do you deal with that? Yeah. I mean, first off, I think especially with social media and just the internet, it's way easier and we feed into it way more like women are comparing themselves on beauty and men are comparing themselves on success way more than we ever have. And so I, I would first say that I think it's completely okay to feel this level. It's, you know, in a, in a way insecure, I feel it. I mean, I work in social media, so I'm exposed to this every single day. People that are doing better, that have more, whatever it's like. And the crazy thing is, is like, and so I'll answer your question, but it's like, the space is extremely dangerous and you're not wrong for feeling that way. In fact, I would argue everybody feels that way or most people in today's world. It's just to what degree. Um, so what I've found is like, okay, the comparison itself is natural. It's just, can you remind yourself that, hey, they're on a completely different journey and can I compare myself to where I was? Like the fact that I was a drug addict and watching porn and just a general degenerate at 11 years old and now I have eight figures in client results and I've built six and seven figure businesses and I've ran an Ironman and I don't do drugs. Like if I can remember my own story and I can remember my own plot line, theirs gets way quieter, right? Cause now I'm like, Oh fuck. Yeah, no, I'm doing the thing. Like I just have to remind myself of my own progress. Really? Mm. It's like, if I remembered, Hey, like four months ago, I couldn't walk. I had knee surgery and now I'm sitting with my leg in, in a full flex and I'm like, Oh my God, that's amazing. Like, like how far I've come. Um, and so that's, I think, like the the antidote to comparison is... Man, beautifully put. I hadn't thought about it that way. Just to summarize this, like when you're comparing yourself to someone else's who's bigger than you, switch that to comparing how how much you progress in your own life. Yes. Like how you become big in your own way. Yes. Right? And it's always there. Like there's that quote that I always see, like, you know, uh, be grateful with be grateful for the things that you used to pray for that are occurring now, right? Yes. Yeah, um, yeah. And a lot of them are happening, but your mind, the way our minds operate is that it just can't be satisfied with the with the current reality. And so it's a good perspective. I, I hear you. I, I really, I I love that you just brought up that quote of like, yeah, we're, we're literally living the life that we used to pray for. And that's crazy to me. It's like, we're constantly reaffirming our, our reality. Um, and so like how I look at it is like, when I come from a frame of, my mom calls it originally from Dan Sullivan of strategic coach, the gap in the game. And so it's like, when you come from the gap of how much further you have to go or how much further ahead someone else is, it's really easy to feel shitty and just down about yourself and defeated versus when you come from the gain, how far have you already come? How much progress have you already made? It inspires you and uplifts you. And when you come from the gain, when it's, you know, Lucas has already accomplished A, B, and C. And how many, what episode number will this be? Do you know? 60 something. So the fact that you've already done 60 some episodes and you've been writing vlogs for over two years, it's like when you come from that perspective of, oh my gosh, I've really come a long way. And like, look at how far I've come in this journey. Then when you suddenly measure to someone else in the space, it gives you context and you can say, well, what's he doing that I could implement or what's he doing better than me that I could work on. But outside of that, you already are coming from a foundation of I'm already doing the things like you're not, you're no longer coming from a place of, oh, I'm a fuck up and he's so much further ahead. It's, well, what can I learn from him? Um, like the big thing in my fitness journey, right? It's like when I was 18 years old, I couldn't run a mile or do one pull-up. I remember I got a pull-up bar when I was 18 years old trying to get sober and I couldn't do a pull-up, bro. And now I can do like six in a row. And so then I look at someone else who can do 20 in a row. And if I just look at them and I just see him doing the pull-ups, I feel like shit. I'm like, damn, he's so much stronger than me. Oh my gosh. And then I remind myself, 
I couldn't even do one pull-up. And now I can do six. And there was a point where I could do 12. Yeah. Like adding, that's... Adding to that conversation to make it um, a little more to do with the inner side of things. Because um, I think if you just base it on external ways, which is useful in some ways, but like in my experience or any entrepreneur can tell you, your experience too, like you can have times like this and then all of a sudden you go fucking here, right? So you're only using the external validation. Like, oh, fuck. Like, for example, like I recently had the worst Instagram engagement I had since I was like 19, right? Wow. And that for some reason, I think I called it in to learn, but it was like, okay, I could look at that in a moment being like, holy shit, what the fuck? Like I'm even way further back than I used to be like, I'm fucked. Or my mind goes in that moment to have different layers that like I'm reacting it to it. I don't even give a fuck, right? Like in the past, I would react to that and be like, oh shit, I'm, I'm worthless. I'm not cool. Like I, I, no one's like me. I can't succeed. But now it just doesn't, it just is. It's just, oh, okay, whatever, right? So I think the metric could also be like how far you've in, internally come, yes. right? And the, and the metric I use for that is like how things that used to trigger you don't even phase you anymore, right? Yeah. Like, the things that used to like really fuck with you, for example, me getting like likes and comments, like if that isn't affecting me, it's like, okay, that's how far I've come, right? So it's, it's a combination of things, but there is an external truth, right? And in how hard you worked in certain accomplishments, but there's also the truth of how far you come internally. Mm-hmm. That yeah. your your ability to be centered amidst the the chaos of life is 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 better. That's I think that's the most important metric actually mm-hmm. is your yes. internal state. Yes, and this is I think that's actually the golden thread of this whole conversation that we've had so far. Is like if you have the ability to sit in the desire or to sit in the in the response or the environment or the trigger and just allow it to be without being disturbed by it, you win. Like that's like the whole ethos of stoicism, right? Um, and something that I've really embedded in my own life is like, okay, like regardless of where I'm at, well, how can I actually be inside? Like, can I find peace in the fact that I am where I am? And that's all that really matters. Um, I think you bring up an exceptional point. And it's actually, I think, a really, that the social media thing is is the perfect litmus test because it's the perfect encapsulation of ego. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, well, my post didn't get the engagement I wanted it to. And it's like, what can I learn from this? What can I do better? Why did this happen? Instead of being like, oh my God, everybody hates me. Yeah. It's like, you know, branching off your point, I think that it's the most useful skill anyone could have truly is to just not, when people say we have a fear of something, something external manifesting, it's never the external thing, right? I have a fear of, of, of someone saying no to an ask a day. I have a fear of, getting fired or a fear of someone dying. It's not the thing. It's your fear of feeling the emotion that comes with it, right? That, that's the experience. Like it's just, all our fears come down to not wanting to feel a certain emotion. The fear itself is not sitting with a certain feeling, right? So now I'm in a place, thankfully, through my life experience, my hardship, being like, I could feel anything and it's whatever, <clears throat> truly. It's like the worst feeling can come. I know I can feel it and not be, and, and, and my psyche will be phased. I may feel it and be intense. My body, my, my identity won't shift. Mm. That to me is the most powerful place to be is to not be afraid of any feeling. I think that's self-mastery. It's understanding that I don't need to hide from these feelings. I don't need to suppress these feelings or numb them. I can just allow them to be. What's the hardest feeling for you to feel? It's a really great question. We all have one. (laughs) Yeah. I think, um, I need to think on that. Yeah. Let's try and find an answer. The okay. question I'd ask if I were not coaching, if I were coaching, would be like, um, what trigger has been the, been the thing that's made you want to avoid it the most? Like, what feeling makes you want to take a drink or do something nefarious? Mm, that's a really great question. Um, and it's this, again, going back to my childhood, it's this thing about belonging. Um, and so it's like, I think that 
being let down by people or being like forgotten about would really be the thing is like being forgotten. What's an example of that you recently faced? Oh, recently. Ooh, or the, the last one you could think of. It could be just a good example to so people can understand what it, what the yeah. situation is. I, I guess like uh, the one that came to mind is like when my sister and I were kids, um, my parents would help my sister with her homework and they would just leave me to do my own homework because they figured I'd have it under control. And I remember feeling upset about that, not because I needed help on my homework, but because, you know, they're all sitting in the kitchen working on their homework and I'm sitting in my bedroom. So abandoned, underappreciated. 100%. Yeah. 100%. So that's definitely something that comes up. But yeah, I mean, and, and what situations that come up? Like if, if someone, like friends don't invite you to a party, um, if you at a place where you think people are cool and you feel like they don't like you, like what, what, in what ways does it manifest for you? Yeah, I mean, it's, so what I've noticed is that I've become very capable of, where it comes up for me is especially highlighting intimate relationships. Um, really definitely in intimate relationships. And then anything where I actually have something on the line. And so like I can have social interactions with people and not be affected by them at all, no matter what they think of me until there's genuine stakes on the table. And so it's like, if we're in an intimate relationship or if we have any kind of commitment to each other, that's when I actually start to feel an effect is like, if I have if I, if I'm going to let you down in a serious way in a serious relationship, whether it's a brotherhood or an intimate relationship with a woman, that's where things get crazy for me is like when the, when the stakes are high, right? Like let's say it's a business venture. Like if I'm in business with someone or a client, those are the people I get freaked out about, um, or a girlfriend. Freaked out in what context? Like what is it reduced to? Like letting them down? Um, what, what's the key thing that upsets you? Yeah, I think it's it's them letting uh, me letting them down, or them picking someone else. Okay, right, and picking so it's someone like, else. Yeah, that that picking your sister that makes that yeah. makes sense. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, so that would be yeah. I think it's either them like uh, me not being good enough for them, or them deciding to pick someone else. Like those yeah. two things so trigger the shit out. For me, what my mind goes to is that like if you get to a place where you can experience that feeling mm-hmm. and not have it completely ruin your sense of identity, you're going to stop fearing it in a way, 100%. you know? And so it's like the, the it's a corny statement, but it's, it, it is true that it just, the, the fear goes away when you just start to, to feel it. We're just like, okay, at, the, at a worst is a sensation in my body, right? There's levels to it, right? It's like, you let the sensation and dictate your psyche, right? Your thoughts, your thoughts are reflective feeling, which makes it it's like self-attacking. Um, but the thoughts are only existing because you're re- resisting the sensation. Right, the the thoughts. If you allow the thoughts to ramp in reflection of the, the sensation, it's just resistance. It's like you're resisting the feeling, and you're like, and you're, you're spiraling all this all this shit. If you just go down your body, you're like, okay. For anyone that's not pick on you, I, for me too, it's like, it's like go to whenever I'm triggered. Is that like I just sit like, okay, I can feel this. I, yes. I can be with this. Yes. And then it's like I can also feel this and work, and do shit at the same time. I can be in the world yeah. and feel this and be okay. Yeah. Um, that's also another, another metric. It's like, can I still be a useful? human being in this world and feel this shit. Uh, but to, um, that's, to sh- I, I just want to echo that, that that is, I think the, the essentialism of all of it. And it's not an overnight process. Like I've been feeling these emotions for years and processing them and I've just gotten better and more responsive. It's like, it's still a process. Like I figured this shit out in terms of like, Oh, I have this trauma to heal a long time ago. And now it's mm-hmm. just a process of, you know, like uncovering what I can and moving on. To hit one last topic before we wrap up. Yeah. Um, one thing I want to talk about is let's try and I think right now, especially for men our age, um, and women too, women in a different way, is it's 
it's increasingly easy to lose your mind because of social media and, the, and technology. Yes. So what's a blueprint that you recommend for people our age who are pursuing something in social media um, to not lose their center not, and to go insane? Like, what do you think are the core, the core traps we face as, as Gen Zers um, in this space that can cause us mental deterioration? Well, yeah, I mean, great question. I'm really happy we're hitting on this. And I think this is to kind of tie a bow on it. Um, I'm going to go on a little bit of a rant. Go is for that it. Okay? So, okay. That's what you're here to do. <laughs> Beautiful. So I think we're, we're in six dimensional warfare, psychological warfare at this point. And so like, this is, this is the point of history where there are corporations and entities that their direct incentive is to change the way you see yourself. Right. And like, that's the whole thing of marketing and psychology is like, if I can convince you that you need to buy my thing to feel good about yourself, you'll buy my thing. Right. And so we're in a day and age where it's psychological warfare, it's identity warfare. And so this is like, I could recommend, a, you know, a morning routine or a habit or a ritual or a phone protocol, but none of those things really matter. At the end of the day, what, what the root of all those things is, is being in control of your own self-identity. And so it's like, well, okay, what does this actually look like? It means having an understanding of who you really are, both your strengths and weaknesses, uh, who you want to become, both your strengths and weaknesses and what that reality looks like, and then taking actions congruent with that person. It's like, I think that, again, the goalpost is different for everybody, but it's like deep learning to deprogram your mind and noticing that like, oh, every time I go to the bathroom, I feel an impulse to pull out my phone. Can I retrain that? Can I set my phone down? Oh, every time I lie down in my bed, I feel an impulse to pull out my phone. Can I retrain that and make my bed the no phone zone where I'm not allowed to be on my phone in bed? It's like, can I create these boundaries with myself based on my own behavior? And I think that's different for everybody. It's like, you know, everybody's going to have their own things, but it's like, I've just started to recognize that like capitalism and technology and artificial intelligence and social media, they're all tools, right? And so all these different things, it's like, we can use them to benefit us, right? We can use social media to interact with more people at a larger scale, more decentralized scale than ever before. We can use the internet to find information that we would have never had access to. We can use AI to increase the leverage of our productivity like never before. These things are fucking awesome tools. And when we let them consume us and we let AI tell us what to do with our lives or come up with ideas for us, and when we use social media to just compare ourselves to other people and live alternate realities through a screen, it's like, if I'm, if I'm jacking off to some other dude having sex with the girl that I want to have sex with, that is creating an alternate reality that I'm living in, right? I'm pleasuring myself to someone else's reality instead of saying, whoa, I want to be in control of my mind. Let me put the phone down. Who do I have to become to actually live that reality? right? Like, do I need to have a healthy body, a healthy mind? Do I need to be successful? Do I need to be confident around women, right? Let me create that reality so I can actually live the reality I want instead of being able to just pull out my phone and live 30 different realities at once. Um, so like, I mean, the overall principle of everything is like, stop scrolling. I think the biggest thing is like the only time I'm using my phone to scroll and I do still have a problem. Like sometimes I'll fall back into the, the shadow behavior, but the only time I really use my phone to scroll is when I'm doing research. When I'm searching something, I have a timer. It's like, I'm going to create as much safety as possible. I'm going to be out of bed, you know, in a productive and focused environment. I'm going to use my computer instead of my phone. And I'm going to like have a timer on and I'm going to be searching certain keywords with an outcome. And I'm going to be moving a piece of content into a document. And so now I have a safety net of like, I can't get lost in this trap of comparison. I'm doing it professionally. You know, I'm analyzing content. I'm studying something. Um, but that's like, I think that the big, big thing right now is we're fighting psychological warfare for we're, we're in a war of our own mind. It's like either you're going to let 
uh, Pfizer and these giant companies, like you're going to let these giant investment companies and mutual fund or hedge funds and these giant pharmaceutical companies and food companies like Coca-Cola and all these commercialized industries convince you what you are and are not, or you're going to deprogram yourself and decide what you are and are not. Um, that was a big rant, but this is really like the, the whole thing is like for our generations, like understand that these are tools and you can use it. You can pick it up and use it, but also understand that it's already being used against you. Like these things are actively being deployed against you. Um, like people that think TikTok is a lot of fun to scroll and they don't realize that it's tracking your location and it's tracking what other apps do you use and how much time do you spend on all these apps on your phone and what are you engaging with and listening to you? Like you don't understand that these things are being weaponized against you. Like it's a mic drop moment for you, bro. I don't have a mic yeah. to drop it right now, but it's, it's a, I don't want to add anything to it just because what you said is so good, but to, just to put my spiel on it and what mm. put a spiritual take on it is that, mm. um, in my experience to find myself, I had to, had to get rid of everything I was not right. And then you eventually come to a place where you're nothing. And that sounds morbid and nihilistic, but it's like, all you are is a connection to divinity in my eyes. Like you're just a, a, a piece of light, unless like you're a, a NPC or AI or something. And then, but like all you are is a connection to light, right? So, and what, why I say that to relate back to you is that social media, especially social media and, and advertisements and TV and all these things, like they make the ego increasingly loud in volume. Mm. So you go, you get further more entrenched into the I am X, X, Y, Z, I am all these things labels and believing all these things, having attachments to all these different dramas and celebrities and influencers, you follow foreign influencers and you're keeping up with them all. That's all further and further away from your, your center of just being nothing. It's just a connection to divinity. So it's why I say that is that like, I'm not shame you do all these things, but always remember that like you were none of these things. Yes. You were none of these things. You're not the drama. You're not the famous person. You are just uh, a divine piece of light experiencing yourself being a human being. And that could be part of the experience, but it's not experiencing it if you're like attached to it all the time, if you're like always stuck in it and all these, these rat races. So the message I can, I can say is like, you're not going to find yourself through scrolling on social media and posting and getting likes and validation. You're going to find yourself by finding your, your core. And that only involves removing everything you're not. So, you know, I, I completely agree with you. This is, um, it's the journey of self-discovery. And that's in my, my experience, it's like learning how to control yourself and learning how to release anything that controls you. And so it's like, yeah, to your point, it's like, I can appreciate a good football game. I can appreciate a good soccer game. And if the outcome of that game has an emotional, psychological response that I didn't choose or opt into, that's a... Such a good example. I think about it and it, it's going to offend some people, but I really don't care. Is it like, if your happiness depends on the fucking Lakers winning or losing... Holy shit. You are not living a good life. <laughs> no, it, it's depressing to me. Yeah. It's, I, I have friends who will have the best day or the worst day of their whole month, depending on who wins a game. And I'm like, you're not even on the fucking field, dude. Yeah. Like, you're not their coach. You're not their strategy. Like, you're not even in the locker room. Like, you are doing nothing. Not a single thing that you do impacts the be the outcome of that game. And yet the outcome of that game impacts your entire psychosocial and emotional like, like what? But go back to what I said earlier, just briefly, it's the attachment to the identity of it, right? Like, yes, I am a Laker, right? And if you are a Laker, then your whole reality depends on the success of the Laker. So it's just like, just removing those things. I mean, like, I'm, the more you move that on every, because that applies to every single level of your life, right? So. And, and then it's just like choosing to, to identify with the things that you are. It's like, I am self-controlled. I am athletic. I am um, extremely selective in who I spend time with. And these are things that I actually have control over. Like, I am 
I'm always oriented towards growth or I am always focused on learning. Now, suddenly I've created, instead of I'm a Lakers fan and I am a Lakers, I'm now someone that's just focused on being me. Yeah, fair enough. Well, I'm going to end it there and thank you for both simultaneously giving us practical wisdom to increase our social media engagement and ability to be there, but also like how to deal with the negative sides of it, which is what I, my intention was in this. And I think we did a decent job in executing that. So thank you. And just want to shout out anything you're working on, your pages for people to find you. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. I do appreciate your time. And it's fun to explore like the actual tactical applications of social media and then the philosophical self-identity and how that interacts with each other. Um, for anybody listening, you can find me on Instagram, the Harrison Coley. Uh, literally just the Harrison Coley, no spaces, no capitals, no underscores, the Harrison Coley on Instagram. Uh, best way to get in touch with me. And thank you again for having me. Of course, man. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed this conversation. Please make sure to subscribe to the podcast as well as rate and review. Thank you for listening.